I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hello and welcome to day four of the Eurocopa podcast, sponsored by Sling Latino. I am your host, Nipun Chopra. Thanks for joining us. As I had mentioned yesterday, I'd like to get you guys involved in the conversation. So tweet at us at WSoccerTalk or use the hashtag EurocopaPod to give us your feedback. Tonight, we'll be previewing Group A, B and C in the European Championships. Joining me on tonight's journey are Karthik Krishnayar, Gabe Smith and Chris Henach. So, gentlemen, let's start with Group A. Group A contains Albania, France, Romania, and Switzerland. Chris, let's start with you. With Albania, uh, it, it really is a beautiful or a romantic story. It's the first time this country has qualified for a major competition. And I, I was reading this. I read this on Wikipedia, and I loved it. Their entire team was awarded the Honor of National Order, which is the highest civilian order in Albania for qualifying for these championships. And when you read something like that, you at least i focused on what on what i consider to be the beauty of football it it is a global sport and it is so important for so many countries especially war torn countries so this is a just a beautiful beautiful story uh bad news is that they probably well definitely will not be getting out of the group well it's funny you say that i'm not entirely sure if, if that's the case and, right. and i say that because I mean, you're you're right in saying they've they've done a wonderful thing for the country, and I think credit to Jenny Dibiase. He's he's very much harnessed the pride of the country. I mean, he's taken Albanian citizenship. He's he's ingrained himself in there. He is the for me the perfect embodiment of what a, a foreign national team coach should be. When you talk about them struggling, I think it depends on on one important factor. Now, as you've looked at the the squad, you'll know. There's not a huge amount of, of ball players in that midfield. There's not anyone to unlock a defence. In fact, it was quite a surprise to me that they left out Milot Rashika, the, the Vitesse youngster, because, again, he's 19, granted. But he had a very good season for Vitesse. I think he, he outshone some of the Chelsea loanees from talking to um, Mikhail Jongsman, who's a big on, on Dutch football. The one thing I say for them is, though, if they maintain their defensive structure, if they stay true to their principles and what got them to this tournament, I think they'll cause teams trouble. The problem they came up with, in my opinion, during qualifiers was eventually they started to try and play football and, and dictate games more, and that's when they were picked off and undone. So if they can hold, and I'm sure one of you chaps knows the, the posh word for this, a bit like the, the Roman soldiers who used to hold shields and, and poke spears through that turtle-like shape. Um, phalanx, if, the phalanx. 
Yeah. Fantastic. I knew there'd be an intelligent one amongst us. Um, <laughs> if they can do that, then I, I'm convinced they can cause some trouble. It, it's it's just whether you have that level of, of concentration, I think, is the difficult part. Karthik, i got to come to you before I go to Gabe because uh, I'm, I still continue on the romance of this because the, the current generation of players are the first generation that have seen the hor- horrors of the Kosovo War. A lot of Albanians yeah. uh, were are, are refugees, are, are uh, kids of refugees from the Kosovo 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 War. So, talk to me about uh, as someone who loves history. Talk to me about the impact that this uh, uh, sport has had on Albania. Yeah, the symbolism of of this is, is tremendous. When you when you think about Kosovo, the Kosovo War, it was similar to when uh, Bosnia finally qualified for a major tournament. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah, Bosnia had been knocking on the door for a while, unlike Albania, who kind of came out of nowhere this time to qualify. But uh, the, the symbolism of that healing the nation, you had Bosnian Serbs and Bosnaks and um, and uh, Bosnian Muslims in the team. Uh, I mean, I can even just think of a, of a few from, from uh, uh, you know, a mix of, of, of cultures. Now, with Albania, you've got a lot of players that grew up in Albania in a closed society prior to 1992, um, although they, they were born in a closed society, I should say. Prior to ni- uh, 92, it, Albania was one of the most oppressive uh, regimes in the world. Uh, uh, Hosha and, and uh, that regime, they in fact uh, at one point shut their doors, doors to the Soviet Union and aligned with uh, China because they felt like the Soviet Union wasn't ideologically rigid enough with their communism. So that was how wow. um, isolated Albania was. And then you have uh, several of these players who were refugees from the Kosovo War and the uh, oppression uh, uh, inflicted by Milosevic and, and uh, that, that regime in Serbia. And then, of course, it took uh, the, uh, the intervention of NATO, really led by Tony right. Blair, uh, to, uh, to 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 get uh, Kosovo the de facto independence, which uh, now is recognized independence by the United States and and the United Kingdom and Australia and, and a lot of the Western world, not recognized as an independent country by uh, the the Russian sphere, if you will, and many of the Middle Eastern countries, which I find ironic because it is a Muslim country that mm-hmm. most of the Middle Eastern countries have opted to right. to. To, to take their anti-Americanism to a new level by not recognizing <laughs> this country because they see him as a as a U.S. Uh, uh, as aligned with the right. U.S. against yeah. against yeah. the Russians. But uh, uh, leaving the politics now, it's just incredibly symbolic and uh, such a touching story. And they're they've got the the war and that history behind them. And uh, moving on, qualifying for this tournament, and one of many really good feel good stories with uh, the expansion of uh, the uh, the tournament to twenty four teams. Gabe, let's talk about one of the favorites for the entire championship as well as the hosts, France. Uh, a lot of players that people that listen to our podcast or follow European soccer will recognize immediately. Um, and I guess we, we could start talking about the people that are missing. Uh, Sako's situation still unclear. No, there's going to be no Benzema after the ridiculousness of what he did. Uh, no, no Rafael Varane through injury. But they're still favorites, and I guess I want to start this conversation with this. For me, their strengths are the personnel, of course, the likes of Loris and my beloved Evra, not-so-beloved Pogba, uh, Martial, Komen, Giroud, N'Golo Kante. But their weakness for me is the off-field stuff. How big of an impact do you see happening with that off-field stuff? We remember the ugly scenes between Evra and Laurent Blanc uh, that led to their basically the end of uh, uh, one of the best teams France has ever produced. 
Well, I, you know, I I think that's that's spot on. I, but I give I give France credit in terms of the way they've been handling it and and pretty much just removing this before you know they leave for the tournament. Um, you know, they, yeah. they, they try to eliminate any kind of repeat episodes to where the drama unfolds right there in the locker room. Um, and and I, and I think they they've done that successfully. Obviously, um, you know, it, it does come at a cost. Uh, you know, when you when you have then someone like Benzema, uh, who's not going to be leading line for France, uh, I think in past years that would be a big issue. And I think that gets into an overall point. This is a more balanced squad for France than it has been mm. in past tournaments. Um, you look at then the the, the last World Cup uh, when Frank Ribery, uh, you know, came up injured and wasn't going to be featured. Uh, there was all this focus then on on Ribery's absence. Sure. Um, and I think that kind of was a cloud. That that, that hovered over. I mean, this is a this is a French squad that, you know, always on paper going into a tournament looks looks quite strong. But I think there's again is always this kind of focus on a couple individual players, um, and, and we have you know a team that has lost to the eventual champions uh, in the the previous two big tournaments. Um, you know, in the European Championships back in 2012, uh, lost to Spain in the quarterfinals, uh, and then of course last year, I'm sorry, not last year, last World Cup. In 2014, lost to the uh, eventual world champions uh, Germany. Then uh, in the in the quarterfinals, so I, I really see this as an opportunity, obviously on their home soil, uh, to really take it to that next step. And and again, while you can't necessarily just focus on one player, um, there are certainly, as you named off some of the players uh, there, uh, that is really I, I think could have just a, a breakout for you know their their you know French national team. Um, the likes of of Griezmann, I think, is going to be doing phenomenal. Obviously, any EPL lovers has seen uh, Dimitri Payet then uh, have an exceptional year for West Ham. Uh, really is going to be their their uh, set piece specialist um, through the course of the games. And then I, I really see this as an opportunity as well for for Paul Pogba, um, who has has had great years uh, for Juventus in the Serie A. But I I, I can't help but to, to think that he's been kind of given this label as really doesn't show up in the big games. Um, almost kind of a Yaya Turi type mentality that you know he's only going to play well when he really wants to. Um, in, a, in a summer to where he's going to be linked with every team under the sun uh, that has at least the money to be able to buy him, um, I, I think this is going to be a real opportunity for him to show that, that he can take this French squad and it's still a very strong midfield uh, on his shoulders. Chris, is this team the best France, best team France has produced since 98? I, I look at every position and for a Barthez, there's a Loris, for a Laurent Blanc, uh, there's a Koscielny, for a, uh, for, for a Vieira, there's a Pogba. For an Henri, there's a, a Martial. So, or, or a Griezmann. There is, for every position, I feel like this is one of the best teams France has produced. And definitely, for me, best since 98. Would you agree? I think it's too difficult to, to compare because the opposition is so different as well. And I think the the landscape is different relative to the domestic league and where that's it. So there's too many moving parts, I think, for that comparison. I think what you can say is this current French team, it has removed some of the characters that were not conducive to success. Uh, Samir Nasri is, is not in there being, mm. I think, one of the prime candidates. That will help them, I think. That will That will improve... Their opportunity of, of meshing, because again, the, the the situations that have presented themselves in public have not been pretty with the French national squad fighting with each other. I think as well, again, it had its similar situation. I would argue with the Karim Benzema, Matthew Valbuena situation, where let's put it to, to bed now. Valbuena did nothing wrong. 
without question. Right. I think we can all agree on that. It could have been an awkward situation, though, had one or both of them gone. Now, in fairness to Valbuena, he's missed out because his form hasn't been good enough. I think for Karim Benzema, it would have been very easy to select him because of his quality, because of who he plays for, because of his standing in, in the French national team. But they didn't. And I think, to me, that shows a commitment to keeping the harmony of things, mm-hmm. to keeping a squad that is all pulling in the same direction. And when you're playing a tournament at home, when you're the favourites because of that, and you're trying to, to perhaps bury some demons of, of previous tournaments, that's a great foundation to start with. Karthik, same question to you. Best team since 98? I'm not sure about that. I think, uh, obviously, the team in the Euro 2000 tournament, which then had uh, contributions from Anelka and uh, David Trezeguet, uh, mm-hmm. who, who had not been part of that core squad in 98, and Henri a couple of years on. I think that team might have been better, and Cillian Sil- Wiltord uh, hitting his stride. I think they might have been better in 2000, and 2002 was just a washout without Zidane there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Let's you have to take about 2000. No, no, no. But I think with some of these national teams, we sometimes forget, like Portugal, for instance, I think was really good between 2000 and 2004. You just have to take that 2002 World Cup where they lost to the U.S. and never recovered out of it. I think France from 2000 to about, uh, from 98 to 2006 were, were good and there were ebbs and flows in their performances, but... I don't think this team is necessarily better than the team in 2000 or the team at World Cup 2006, which, yes, uh, got got some breaks along the way, but uh, were very deep at, at, at multiple positions and still had Vieira playing at a fairly high level, had Zidane, Swansong, had uh, a number of uh, young players contributing, most notably Frank Ribery, really came onto the world stage at that World Cup. So... I don't think this is the best team since since then, but it, like 98, they're at home, and that makes a big yeah. difference. Karthik, sticking with you, let's talk about Romania now um, in this group. The best known names in this team are probably Pantelimon and Kirkis. Uh, for me, the strength is that they're very well defensively organized, extremely well. They've conceded fewer goals than any team in Europe during qualifying. But the weakness is the other end. No team has scored fewer goals in Europe. So... Um, with that framework, talk to me about Romania. Yeah, I, I saw them play a few times during qualifying against Northern Ireland and against Hungary, and quite frankly, we're not impressed with them going forward. And uh, Northern Ireland won that group. Romania did uh, finish second and, and qualified automatically. Uh, but uh, I felt I felt like Romania was the third best team in that group, honestly. I thought Hungary were better than them. Hungary then qualified via playoff. Um, but I... I, I I feel like this team is very well organized, very well structured, but they don't have uh, enough going forward. And that's very, very odd because I think historically when we've looked at Romania squads, uh, particularly in the uh, age uh, from 94 to 2000 and uh, to about 2000, right? The Euro 2000 tournament, they were pretty good. Uh, they had uh, in Haji and, some of, and Petrescu, they had these really good uh, attacking players. And then we saw it again with, with guys like Mutu uh, after that. And, and when they got to the Euro 2008 tournament, which they qualified for and then just got put in the toughest group, uh, they had some very, very uh, quality attacking talent and, and gave uh, uh, everybody a game in that in that group. France, Italy, uh, the, the Netherlands, they were just grouped in with three world powers, so they didn't get out of the group, but they were able to control possession at times in that group and uh, create chances. I just don't see this team doing this in, in this group. I think uh, I tend to agree with Chris that Albania, if I had to, had to pick between Albania and Romania, I think Albania is probably the stronger of the two, which means uh, 
uh, Albania, great story. It might keep going. They might get right. out of this group. That'd be pretty cool. Chris, let's talk about Switzerland. Uh, the strength, from my perspective, is there are certain players that we all know. Uh, Barami, Shaka, who just signed for Arsenal. Shakiri, of course. Uh, but the weakness for me is that uh, they don't have too many out-and-out goal scorers and clearly have an over-reliance on Shakiri. I think you've surmised it perfectly there. Um, Let's move on then. Just <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you joke, but I, I don't know if there's a dramatic amount we can can say on that. I, I think I think what you can say is that the concern for Switzerland is that their coaches are downgrade from Otmar Hitzfeld, which, again, I'm sure there are a lot of coaches out there now who would be very proud to say they're a downgrade from Otmar Hitzfeld because he's a, a very talented manager. I just don't see anything sparking with them this time. That that is my issue. Um, I don't see enough fluency. <clears throat> excuse me. And and as you touched on, there's there's not that forward that I see firing them to right. success in the past. They've they've relied on the likes of Dirty Ock. Again, there's just not that quality standing out for me. And I think teams like Albania being a a great example. They will will shut down the kind of space he likes to play. And I think honestly, if if you want to talk about that game in general, it will be interesting to see the two Jackers come up against each other because they've been very vocal in saying that's not something that either man is looking forward to. <laughs> but yet again, it, it highlights, you could argue, two prominent narratives for both teams in the sense that mm-hmm. Switzerland have made tremendous success of, of immigration in, in relation to their football team. They had more players of uh, an immigrant background, in inverted commas, than any other team in the World Cup, 15 of, of their 23. Whereas Albania have lost a lot of players through that same system, the likes of Granit Xhaka, Valon Barami, for example. Yeah, well said. Switzerland's issue will be goal-scoring, as I mentioned, and uh, uh, probably will be led by Brie Lambolo, the 19-year-old Basel striker, uh, which is not good, because their other options is Tarshai, the Everton uh, player who was at Grasshopper on loan, and Admir Mehmedi, who has only scored two goals for Leverkusen. Gabe, let's talk about England in Group B now. Let's start talking about Group B. Oh, boy. The first, first of all, I have to admit, I am really pissed off. I'm really pissed off. I, I think this is a good England squad, but the reason I'm pissed off is Danny drank, drink water. Because to me, outside of Vardy and Kane, no one deserves to be in this squad more than Danny Drinkwater does based on what he's done over the last 12 months. And to include Henderson and Wilshire, mm. of all people, is just a slap in the face of of anyone that loves someone who has literally a player like a player like Drinkwater, who has who basically represents every person who watches football. He works hard. He puts his head down, doesn't complain, and then you are replacing him with a player that's barely played, vastly overrated. Some might argue. So yeah, talk to me about that decision. It's inexplicable for me. Well, you know, I I, I would uh, go into a, a long argument about whether the the pros or cons in that, but I, I think really at the end of the day, we have to remember this is a Roy Hodgson team, so that that's that's where I always come back. Here to. comes the Liverpool bias. <laughs> that's, Here it that's, comes. That's where I come back to, to where I, I'm I'm just I'm surprised you're so shocked uh, in these kind of decisions. No, I, I mean it, it is it was it was an interesting one. I I do think that um, you know through the course of the season, uh, his play on the field. Uh, warn that. And I think, if anything, um, I, I think Roy Hodgson, you know, could, uh, 
could definitely take a note from the way that Leicester City won Premier League uh, and the the type of style and play uh, as something that he could have adopted with this English English national team going into this tournament as well. Um, so I I think having Drinkwater in that squad would have been favorable. Um, I I do think that probably if you're looking at you know in, in comparison between Wilshire and uh, Jordan Henderson, I mean I see Drinkwater more you know in the in the the likes with Jordan Henderson there. If we're talking about probably who is actually replacing there in terms of skill set, mm-hmm. uh, I, I do think Wilshire just does a little brings a little bit more dynamic to it. Now obviously his injury record um, right there is is quite concerning with the amount of play that he's had through the season, but I, I do think he can add some some elements that uh, that both uh, Henderson and Drinkwater couldn't. Uh, but I, I, as a Liverpool fan, as you as you noted out there, I'd probably be the first one to say that I don't think that Jordan Henderson's performance through the course of the season uh, on merit should have earned to him a uh, a uh, uh, champions championship spot. So I, I could I could certainly see the case for Drinkwater uh, being included over him. Um, you know, as a whole, this is still it's a, it's a talented squad um, that that England's going to be uh, putting together. Uh, again, it, it comes back to where I, I've seen um, decently impressive squads on paper, and it still comes to how they're managed, uh, the dynamics that they that they institute then on the pitch. I'm going to be very curious how Roy um, uh, positions them. I, I'm. I personally, like I said, kind of in the beginning, I, I'd probably like to have seen a four-four-two and had uh, Harry Kane uh, and Jamie Vardy both at the top. Uh, I, I have a feeling, though, that Hodgson's probably going to put uh, Vardy actually on the wing uh, mm-hmm. somewhere, most likely, if, if you can kind of judge by some of the friendlies going into it. Uh, and then I think that the Wayne Rooney question always comes into play, um, whether or not Wayne Rooney plays deeper or, again, if, if completely... Uh, outside of the season's performance, if again Roy Hodgson has this kind of knee-jerk reaction uh, to go based on experience rather than merit, uh, I could still see him trying to find some way of of um, you know uh, inserting Wayne Rudy in the squad when he may not be deserving of so. I I, I also think that there are several guys uh, beyond Jack Wilshire who are in this team who did not have good seasons. Ross Barkley uh, comes mm-hmm. to mind right away, and he's a player that's been anointed as, as the next Wayne Rooney by uh, the, the the English press. Raheem Sterling had a stop-start season, but he's I guess Sterling is such a unique player, you, right. you have to take him. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Henderson, as, as Gabe mentioned. So, for me, I'm just very personally disappointed that Danny Drinkwater is not in this team, and that uh, Mark Noble wasn't given a shot. Right. I, I, I'm really unhappy about both of those guys being left off, and I will tell you there are people who have told me and i i, I maybe we'll see if they're if they uh follow through on what they uh what they claimed uh, uh several weeks ago when this tournament actually kicks off and england plays on on uh june 11th but there are people who are english who've told me they won't watch uh England playing, they'll root for for Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland or somebody or Wales. Uh, if Wilshire made the team over Drinkwater, it was that it, wow. it was that blatant to to people uh, to several people I've talked to that, that I mean this is crazy that there would even be a choice based on what we've seen over the last twelve months and Hodgson. Uh, presented the choice and he made the wrong choice as far as most people are right. uh, many people are concerned. Chris, what's been the reaction to the final squad in England in the press and uh, amongst your uh, soccer media circles. Well, the, the riots have just stopped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're safe. Um, I'm broadcasting from under a table. Um, no, I, I think, honestly, they, they've been met with the sort of same division that is often the case with squads in in that you have fans who think it is disgraceful that, that Danny Drinkwater has 
earned a Premier League title, has been influential in a side that has won a Premier League title, and yet is deemed not good enough to go over a player in Jack Wilshire who has played less than 900 minutes this season. Mm-hmm. In fact, I tell you, less than 900 minutes in the last two seasons, I stand corrected. Wow. Um, I see why they say that. I think, look, I think Jack Wilshire is a, is a talented player. The issue I have with Jack Wilshire at this precise moment is he will go to that tournament and unless he does something truly spectacular, he will reaffirm the notion that he is overrated. Whether that is true or not, I think is up for debate, but it will reaffirm the notion in his critics that he is vastly overrated and put more needless pressure on him. I think you need to, if you're going to pick a player who's injured like that, they need to have at least played five, six games coming off the back end of the season. You look at Germany, who didn't take Marco Royce for a similar reason. Now, he's played a lot more football than Jack Wilshere, and you could achieve, argue achieved a lot more in the last two years than Jack Wilshere has. But the fact that people like Drinkwater, Noble, who Kartik touched on there, and Andros Michael Townsend Carrick. miss... Carrick to a degree as well, and Andros Townsend miss out, mm-hmm. essentially, to me, reaffirms... The the notion that cynics apply to the England team about it being a boys' club for the elite clubs, and that it's still picked on reputation, and that for this generation, it's not Gerald or Lampard. It's where do we fit Wilshire in? Where do we fit Sturridge in? Even though the pair of them, granted, Wilshire uh, Sturridge to a much much lesser degree, are injury prone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true, and I and I would state that I don't think if Jamie Vardy hadn't gotten as much play as he did, and Danny Welbeck hadn't gotten injured, I think there was a possibility Vardy wasn't going to make this team. I uh, play play in the media, I'm saying, and and mm-hmm. it would have just been a historic snub. But I I thought all along in the back of my mind, once Welbeck got fit and Sturridge got fit, that Vardy wasn't going to make the team, and then he'd, Welbeck he'd got injured. To, he'd have yeah. uh, like been likened to Grant Holt, who. Yeah, I, I, I remember Roy even saying, you know, I, I can't just hand a cap to everyone they ask. And I think <laughs> he actually referenced Grant Holt specifically, which, look, there has to be a, a point where the England team becomes a meritocracy and you earn your position because at this precise moment, Jack Wilshire is, is no guarantee of quality. He right. did something very good against Slovenia. Well done. I can think of a fair few players who did. And I, I appreciate that there will be Arsenal fans calling me some horrendous names now. And that's <laughs> entirely their justification to do and so. I, and I encourage them. Yeah. What I would say to them is, he hasn't done anything recently. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I appreciate that I sound like some kind of unloving partner when I say, what have you done for me lately? It's true, though. This is this is the problem. Mark that... Noble scored more goals in the Premier League this season than Jack Wilshere has in his Premier League career, by the way, Chris. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, look, Wilshere is a talent, of course he is. And, and the problem he, I think, in general faces is he divides opinions so drastically. I can't think of many England players that have split people down the middle as fiercely as he has. You either hate him or love him. And the fact that you know, he's not the most professional footballer in the world. Hmm. He doesn't carry himself the best way possible. Daddy's always injured. I do think we may look back in, in years to come in the same way that we looked at Gerard and Lampard and now say, why didn't we just play a three? Why did we have to play two? We will look at it again and say, why did we pick a player who had played 900 minutes in two years when we had Danny Drinkwater sitting there who mm-hmm. can do a very similar job? 
Chris, shame on you for suggesting that smoking cigarettes and writing salacious tweets aren't becoming <laughs> of a footballer. All right. You know what? You know what? You know what? Two things. It's not even that is my issue. Smoking, again, it's a quick way to get to a grave, but it's not the worst thing in the world. He's mm. been in fights outside oh, nightclubs, right. for goodness sake. Yeah. yeah. It's, that's blow. not even the worst of his crimes, to be fair. And, and I say that as someone who can appreciate his talent. But again, there comes a point, and in some ways, this applies to Arsenal, period, to digress slightly. What have you achieved? Yes, the likes of Oxide Chamberlain and all this, they, they go through periods where Arsenal fans love them. But what have they achieved for Arsenal? Very little. Yeah, it's very well said. Let's let's move ahead in this group uh, to Russia. Mm. Gabe, I'll come to you first. Yeah. Uh, the focus for me will be Artem Zuiba, the forward. He scored 15 goals in 30 games for Zenit, and and definitely has a Miroslav Klose about him. He's he's really tall, six five. Yeah. Uh, scores lots of goals with his head, um, and he'll be the focus of this Russian team. Yeah, I was gonna say is you know definitely his uh, aerial prowess is uh, is certainly the the main attribute there, um, and, and the way then that uh, that Russia shapes up uh, has had a great season for Zenit. Uh, you mentioned the 15 goals for Russian Premier League, also threw in six in the Champions League um, oh, through the group stages, impressive as well. So um, you know he's he's definitely coming into this uh, in in great form there. Um, I, I think you know it, it is you know this Russia team I, I think is going to be. Um, an interesting one because I, I I can see them playing uh, in a certain way that obviously is, is going to, um, to to try to capitalize then on his strengths. Um, I, I'm a little bit concerned, if, if or especially if you're a Russia fan, um, though, in, in terms of um, some of the wing play leading up to that, the service that that Zuba is going to be getting, um, it was a, a pretty big hit with uh, uh, Alan Zagov, uh, who's a talented winger that that uh, uh, broke his metatarsal. Uh, he's going to be out injured then for the tournament. Um, it's always been kind of a spotlight on him in, in terms of really kind of the next big Russian thing. And uh, injuries have has been um, really poor for him uh, over the past uh, several years now to where he just really hasn't been able to uh, fill into the shoes that uh, that people are expecting. Uh, but I, I think this is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a decent squad here um, all the way through. It's well-balanced. Uh, you also got uh, Igor Denisov. Um, who's uh, a name that I think many many people will will be familiar with, at least in terms of past tournaments. Who plays with Dynamo Mas- uh, Dynamo Moscow um, will certainly be the the orchestrator in the middle. Uh, although again, he's a, this is another individual, 32 years of old, that uh, is certainly then at the end of his international career at this point. Uh, but really, I think that you know that the main presence also for Russia is going to be in their defense, and it's it's going to be then uh, their goalie Akinfeev. So um, 15 clean sheets through the Russian league, then second most. Uh, in the Russian league, uh, very, very top-notch traditional shot stopper. Uh, but I, I think, you know, overall there, there's enough talent on this Russian team, uh, to certainly challenge England, uh, but, uh, but will certainly be, I, I think, probably the favorites there for that second spot. Uh, but I think as we kind of go through the rest of our, um, um, uh, discussion here in the group, uh, yeah. there's going to be another, another great candidate there for, well, I'm really looking forward to that particular matchup with, uh, with Wales. The two I would keep an eye on personally are Fyodor Smolov, who's at Krasnodar. He's just come off a, the back of a really good season. Um, he's bordering one and two. And, and funnily enough, given the Gabe touched on, on Zagorov, there's a young chap called Alexander Golovin, who is actually at CSK Moscow, the, the club that uh, the head coach Slutsky also coaches at. And his former under-21 coach has already said he's better than Roman Shirakov, who will likely come in hmm. to, to play Zagorov. And he's he's got, I think, two and three for Russia already. 
which is, again, it's a very good start, small sample size granted. But I would definitely keep an eye on Alexander Golovin as someone who could make a big impression at this tournament if he's given the opportunity. Karthik, let's talk about Slovakia. Uh, led by Skrtel and Hamsic, but scoring goals will be the real struggle for this team. I actually spoke to Gunter Kronsteiner, former coach of the Four Lardel Strikers, who's Austrian but lives in Bratislava. I actually talked to him today. And uh, coach tells me that this midfield for for Slovakia uh, is pretty good. They can control possession they can control the ball. Uh, he likes Sestak a lot, who's a, who's an experienced player. Uh, he's told me Vlad Weiss has played pretty well for the national team, even though his club career has kind of been on the rocks. Player uh, folks in England are familiar with from coming through um, Manchester City's academy. Uh, but, you know, again, I, they might be able to control possession, but I don't see a whole lot up front like so many uh, squads in this, in this tournament. I mean, it seems like every squad in this tournament either – has a deficiency uh, up front with scoring scoring goals or some sort of defensive problem, which is why I think people who follow England are cautiously optimistic this go around because England has has fewer holes than any other squad in this tournament, other than maybe Belgium. But um, they don't necessarily have the match winners that uh, uh, that France and, and Spain and Germany and Belgium have. So, uh, but yeah, I think Slovakia. And again, I, I talked to coach Kronsteiner to get a scouting report on them uh, and on Austria for our preview on, on uh, Austria tomorrow. He, uh, he really feels like they could be competitive in this group because Russia um, is very hit or miss in big tournaments and Wales is our uh, newcomers, even though on paper, Wales has a, a, a very good squad. Uh, we just don't know how Chris Coleman's team's going to react. It's the first major tournament they've been in since 1958. So Slovakia, who surprised the world at the world cup in 2010, uh, not only uh, getting out of the group, but winning a group that included Italy and Paraguay, uh, the reigning world champions at the time, Italy, who would go to the Euro finals two years later. Uh, maybe they could have another surprise in store. This is not the toughest group. This is a pretty balanced group. Chris, let's talk about Wales now. Uh, I want to start this conversation back in 2010. In 2010, Wales was ranked 120th in the world uh, when Gary Speed was manager. By the... by. Um, and and a process that was started by Gary Speed, which of course the late Gary Speed, we, you know, there's a very sad story how that played out. But my point is a process that was started by Gary Speed has culminated in last October, Wales were eighth in the world. They jumped 110 odd places in half a decade, and it is one of the most impressive stories of a of a uh, of a footballing uh of a footballing team that that kind of goes unnoticed i think in the world of football yeah I, I, the, the thing with fifa rankings is and I, I know i'm not the first person to voice this they're, they're quite inconsistent it seems and and they can often feel as if they've been picked out of a hat <laughs> the, the thing i find and it's quite a sharp contrast to the point that you kind of introduced it with is there are questions about how much improvement uh, Chris Coleman's actually made to Gary Speed's squad because the the thing is Gary Speed if you talk to people that played with him if you talk to people that worked under him when he was a, a coach he was very much inspirational he could I think Craig Bellamy has spoken to that effect that he could make yeah. you run through walls he, he, he um, spoke spoke to me about it directly that 
the only reason he was staying in the Wales team was uh, because of that relationship with Gary Speed. But Gary Speed was still alive when I talk, spoke to Bellamy. But he said that was a universal feeling uh, in the in the country. And he said, "Hey, if we if we uh, qualify for a major tournament, you might even see Giggsy come out of international retirement because he respects Gary Speed so much." I knew I'd read a brilliant piece to that effect. Um, <laughs> I, 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 the <laughs> thing I have with with Wales is there's just so much pressure on Gareth Bale. Sure, and and. You listen to any preview. I, I did one with with Ball Street about potential dark horses, and and one of the chaps there said, "I think it's going to be Wales." You know, I watched them and and Bale and all. There's so much pressure on him, and and you look at even their qualifiers, free kicks um, were kind of given instantly to him, and and there's such expectation around him, and and people draw comparisons to Real Madrid, which I think are a tad unfair because he's working with a much better caliber of player there who can create space and opportunity for him. And look, I think it would be disrespectful to talk about his his teammates as if they're nothing more than training cones. They are professional footballers, some of them playing at a very high standard. It's whether that team can actually forge a strong counter-attacking unit, which will be kind of central to the way they play and, and from what I've seen them play. I don't know if they have enough pace to do it. They've got Hal robson Carney, who, again, is incredibly quick across the grass. Outside of that, I don't see where the players are to connect the dots to build that fast, fluid counter-attack. And, and for that reason, I think you're looking for Bale to do something spectacular, almost like that Spurs side towards the, the end of his time there. it was You could see them towards the end of games. It would be give the ball to Gareth, see if Gareth can do something. The West Ham game at Upton Park being a prime example of that. They won that solely because he hit an absolute belter from about 25, 30 yards out. And... I just think when you go into a tournament with that predisposition to, to think that's how we'll do it, your strong chance you'll fail, I think. All right, guys, we've got to move on to Group C now. Um, the big conversation in Group C will be Germany. Karthik, uh, come to you first. Um, I mean, there are players in this te- the team that are just incredibly talented, incredibly experienced at this level. But for me, they're not. They're, they're obviously favorites in this group, obviously. But they're not favorites for the tournament for me because I think they're defensively a lot more susceptible than people think yeah. they are. Because Absolutely. La- yeah, last World Cup they had Schweinsteiger, Tony Kroos, Kadira Lam playing that that strong defensive role in front of the defense. And now most of those, well, three of those players are not at the same level. One's retired. So um, talk to me about that. I, I don't think this team is as much of a favorite as uh, most people are giving them credit for. Yeah, and I think Hummels did not have a particularly good season right. at, at, yeah. at Borussia Dortmund this season. I don't think Hovedis had a particularly good season at Schalke. Hovedis played every minute of the World Cup in, in 2014. Uh, Boateng has been dealing with injuries. Uh, Rudiger is young. I'm not mm. necessarily sold on him yet. I, I know his transfer to Roma was made uh, permanent. Uh, Emre Schaan is a player that really hasn't settled in this German side yet. I have a lot of concerns about them defensively. I, I'd be curious to see where Kimmich is plugged in. He has yet to be capped for Germany, uh, yet uh, the transformation of the player under Pep Guardiola means that he's in the squad, even though he's never been capped for Germany. Uh, Jogi Love has, in general, gotten his squad selections uh, correct, going back to the Euro 2008 tournament, where they made the final, and he made some uh, unorthodox picks of players, and obviously World Cup 2010, it's debatable, maybe they were the best team in that World Cup, but then came up short against Spain in the semifinals. He's generally, uh, all the way running through 
through 2014 World Cup, which they won, when he's made unorthodox selections or dropped a guy that you were surprised by getting dropped. In this case, it's Marco Royce, who's had uh, an injury-plagued second half of the season with Borussia Dortmund, uh, which is part of what opened the door for Christian Pulisic, the mm-hmm. American phenom we've talked so much about, was Royce's injury. That was part of why Pulisic got so much time second half of the season. Um, he generally gets these things right. So uh, Leroy Sané is a, p- a player that uh, a lot of people have talked about, and, and Gaffer and I got to see in person at Schalke. Uh, when we went, I saw, I've seen him three times in person because I saw Schalke on two friendlies in the United States uh, during the winter break. One against the Fort Lauderdale Strikers uh, and uh, another against um, against uh, Shakhtar. And they they um, he, he's just a dynamic player, but he's just another kind of attacking player that gives them more of an option. Uh, def- and you know, kind of a repetitive player, maybe a younger, better version of of a, a Podolski or a Sherla at this point. Um, I have a lot of concerns about this team. I'm not quite sure if uh, you're going to throw Kimmich in there to shield the back four uh, from the get-go. Uh, what Tony Cruz, who's been in and out of the Real Madrid team, what his form is going to be like. Uh, we've seen Germany have guys uh, in the last several tournaments who have not been playing very well at the club level be able to kind of just flip a switch. Lucas Podolski comes to mind. It's a guy who hasn't played consistently well at the club level since uh, 2007 or 2008, but would always show up uh, big in these major tournaments. And then uh, uh, same deal with Miroslav Klose, who, who was playing well at Lazio going into the 2014 World Cup, but going into 10 and 12 and 8, he wasn't playing particularly well at the club level and would just flip it on. Um, I don't know if we're going to see that again. I, I have a lot of concerns about Germany, but uh, I've learned never to <laughs> never to count them out. So uh, I, share your, I share your analysis, Nipun, but there's still Germany... And there's something they dig deep, and sometimes they get they get results. Yeah, Karthik. Uh, sorry, Gabe. The the flip side, obviously, to that is Thomas Muller is coming into this tournament in one of the best form of of his career, uh, and then you have Neuer as well, one of the best goalkeepers. Although, and you'll I'm sure expand on this uh, in general, not as great of a season as he's had previously. He's he's been found out a few times uh, positionally. I think uh, the the whole uh, sweeper keeper act is kind of starting to wear thin for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think I think people are obviously just getting getting to where they can they can alter the game plan to to take advantage of that at at you know at certain opportunities. Now, uh, let's let's not let's not mistake ourselves. Uh, Neuer is still easily uh, one of the top three goalkeepers in the world, and 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 just you know from this season, uh, I think after, such after Mignolet and who else? <laughs> of course, right? <laughs> uh, you know when when the bar's been set so high that you know even a an inconsistent at times, especially. When you're trying to add new dynamics to your play and, and, and being a player that, uh, a goalkeeper who's, uh, you know, playing with the ball at his feet, um, you know, you're going to be prone to more mistakes at, at times. But, uh, overall, I think, you know, Germany's goalkeeper position is, is, is quite solid. That's certainly not going to be a vulnerability. Uh, as you and Kartik mentioned, uh, I, I think there are, you know, some, some, some potential weaknesses in the defense. Uh, there's only one notable fullback. That's Jonas Hector from, from Cologne. Uh, we, we've seen Emmy Chan then kind of play right back. Back for for Germany, uh, I think it's unfortunate for his development uh, for the national team because I do think that he's going to be a presence in, in midfield. Uh, that the sooner he's able to make that uh, transition under under low, the better. Uh, but uh, but it is there there is you know there is I, I think there's going to be some some times into where you might have uh, low might have um, you know some interesting players that he have to put in uh, in that defense, especially if any injuries start taking place. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna definitely see some center backs and playing in that fullback uh, position quite quickly. Uh, but I, I I like I mean I like the 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 variety in the squad. I think 
while you certainly can't put them as the the same kind of strength of favorites as they've been in, in international tournaments in the past, um, I, I do think that this could be a great kind of transition tournament for them. Um, I, I think there's some some great youth players uh, in here that I'm, I'm really curious to see uh, how much is is, uh, is really put on their shoulders then early on. Uh, obviously, Kartik had mentioned uh, Joshua Kimmich. Uh, another one's going to be Julian Weigel then, from, who played a, a great campaign with Borussia Dortmund uh, this past year. Uh, someone who's not so young anymore, but has certainly been a, a player that has been kind of seen as a young phenom for, for Germany for for several years has been Julian Draxler, um, mm-hmm. who's uh, who I thought you know had a, had a decent year at, at Wolfsburg. Uh, probably not as impressive a campaign as uh, Wolfsburg fans were hoping, uh, especially with um, the absence of, of Kevin De Bruyne from that squad. Uh, but I, I think he still had a, had a great year. And then I'm also very curious to see um, Schalke's uh, young player Leroy Sané. Uh, as well, in terms of what he's going to be able to do, really, I, I don't see anybody with the same kind of on the ball skills in a, in a wide area that uh, Sané can bring uh, in this current uh, German lineup. So I, I think you could probably see him, um, you know, being used, um, uh, you know, in the group stages, um, maybe a little bit sooner than we might think. So we'll, we'll have to see. But I, I think there's definitely some some goals in the squad, as you guys all had mentioned. It's just going to be uh, a question of whether or not they're going to be able to keep the uh, the ball out of that as much. Chris, the, let's talk about Northern Ireland, a team that will not be able to put too many uh, goals uh, in uh, in that squad. Uh, they're definitely a defensive-minded team. Uh, Cathcart, the two Evans brothers, Johnny, Corey, uh, Paddy McNair, and Norwood are defensively-minded players, or if not defenders themselves. But the story of Northern Ireland, much like Wales, is also pretty, intri- pretty interesting historically uh, because they haven't qualified for a uh, for a European Championships in 1964 and haven't been involved in a uh, top-level football championship since their World Cup run in 1986. So uh, is this the start of something special for Northern Ireland or a false dawn? I'm trying to find a link to all those players that you mentioned there. The Evanses, <laughs> Touche. Um, <laughs> the thing I find curious... They all love cricket. <laughs> I think that the thing I find curious about Northern Ireland is, and again, you could say this is indicative of, of the team in general. Josh uh, McGinnis, McGinnis, I don't, not entirely sure how you pronounce it. Um, actually started his career as a goalkeeper and is now playing up front with Northern Ireland. You could say that typifies their their attacking uh, frugality. The thing I will will study with them most is you have Will Grigg and Connor Washington. Um, I'm not going to sing, don't worry. Will Grigg has, <laughs> has certainly found success in, in the lower league so far, as has Connor Washington, in fairness, with, with Peterborough. Now, Washington is playing in the second tier with QPR, um, and Grigg has just been promoted. Between them, they have 11 caps and the three goals. There is every chance that they come to this tournament, the pair of them. Now, Lafferty will undeniably start, as he's the man that, that kind of fired them there. There's every chance that one of them comes off the bench and has an influence. And that, for me, is, is likely what will define Northern Ireland's time in the tournament, whether it be short or long, is what can the guys on the bench bring them? Because their starting eleven, while not anything to, to terrify the opposition, it's strong enough. It can, it can produce something, I think, in the right atmosphere. My issue has always been, though, is, is when they look to that bench, when they look to who they can call upon, there hasn't been a wealth of, of options there. And I think for Michael O'Neill, who, let's put it this way, has, has done a sensational job 
with with Northern Ireland, that will be a, a real kind of test for him as well. Yeah, I agree with Chris. Actually, I, I did an exercise with a friend of mine about a year ago when we were going through the European squads, teams that would potentially qualify. Uh, at the time, Northern Ireland, none of these countries had qualified. We looked at the first 11 for Northern Ireland and thought, you know what, they're every bit as good as the Republic of Ireland or Wales. Uh, you know, taking Gareth Bale out of the Wales equation, really rated the, the 11 that Northern Ireland was starting. And then it was when we looked at the bench, we said, ah, this team's not even going to qualify for the Euros. So I, I completely agree with Chris's. That analysis is spot on. Uh, if you look at the first 11 for Northern Ireland, uh, they uh, have a lot of pedigree in in England, in, in the top league in England, in the Premier League, in the Championship. Uh, they have played well as internationally as a unit. And Michael O'Neill has instilled a fighting spirit in the squad. But it's once you get an injury or two or a suspension or two, they had a they had this difficulty. Lafferty got suspended uh, in, in late in qualifying. And it was just a question of could they get through a game nil-nil basically at that point. They didn't have anyone to come off and uh, on and score goals. Although McGinnis did a credible job of holding the ball up and getting his teammates involved. But they uh, they have a depth issue. That's, that's for sure. But if they stay fit and avoid suspensions, which are important in these international tournaments. This is certainly a team that can get out of this group, in my opinion. Karthik, stick with you for Ukraine. Uh, they basically limped into qualifying. It was yeah. an injury time goal in the second leg against Slovenia. Uh, there's a sense of rebuilding this team, I guess. I mean, Konoplanka and Yarmolenka are the two standout stars for me. So how do you rate their chances in this group? Well, they're very good in wide areas. Um, I think that they've got a, an ability to create scoring chances. Now, actually finishing those chances mm-hmm. has been an issue, and, uh, and defensively they're like not. they're missing someone like Shevchenko. Yeah, right. I mean, well, I mean, that's not a guy you easily replace, right? I mean, right. one of the great players of his generation, but uh, in world football, I mean, anywhere on the planet. But, yeah, they don't, they, they've fallen from... Sheva, you know, one of the top five strikers in the world, to to nothing really. And defensively, I, I've noticed some some holes when I watch them in qualifying. When I even watch them against Slovenia in that the playoff, that was a, a playoff between two teams. This is there, there are a lot of cases for twenty four team Euros, and I don't think the quality of the of the tournament has been watered down as dramatically as some critics feared. But that Slovenia Ukraine uh, two legs uh, reinforced some of the. Uh, stereotypes that people say about expanding the tournament because neither team deserved to be here and uh, they have obviously in Yarmolenko a really top quality wide player but mm-hmm. um, I, I, I just don't see them um, competing in this group I mean I think Germany is very is still going to be very strong in this group and I, I rate both Poland and Northern Ireland higher than them at least when you look at those first 11 for Northern Ireland so I think they're probably going to finish last in this group. Mm-hmm. Gabe, if soccer could be switched to a game where you had three goalkeepers and a striker, Poland <laughs> would be the one of the best teams in the world. They're stacked at that goalkeeper position, and they have Lewandowski playing striker, one of the best, if not the best striker in the world right now. So beyond that, do you see much out of this Poland team? I know before we started recording, you thought they were uh, pretty uh, good value for money. Yeah, I I, I kind of like this the this this particular squad. Um, certainly, as you mentioned. Um, I, I think, you know, the key of any team being able to make a good tournament run is, is obviously having a, a solid goalkeeper. Um, and they've got three. Um, Typical uh, it, Gabe comment. <laughs> um, but it, I think, you know, I think there's some, there's some good balance to the squad. Um, you know, the, the notables, obviously, as you mentioned there, uh, Lewandowski is going to be the one that's going to be the main goal scorer. Uh, but there's a couple people to, to keep a, a, an eye out for. 
um, as well. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan. I think people now have started to come across uh, Kokoviak then with Sevilla, uh, the great holding midfielder um, that just now won, uh, obviously, Europa League there with uh, with Sevilla. And, and I do expect for um, him to become more of a, of a household name as probably making a, a bigger move um, in the next year or two. Uh, but uh, Carol, or Carl Linetti, um, I've got a friend who, uh, who for some for some weird obsession, loves to watch the Polish league. And has been saying <laughs> okay. that has been saying that Linetti is is uh, is is a fine fine young player, twenty one years old, um, who they expect to to kind of make that jump up uh, soon. You got uh, Peter Zelensky, uh, who's been rumored with uh, several teams, including my own uh, uh, favorite team, Liverpool, uh, who's been playing then on loan uh, at Empoli. Um, I, I think that they they've got some 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 good uh, additions there in midfield, some good depth there, uh, and then uh, I'd probably say the other one that that I think people are going to be starting to see. Uh, hear more about uh, is going to be uh, Arkadash Milik, uh, who uh, plays then at, at Ajax, uh, who had a fabulous campaign then in the Dutch League, uh, 21 goals, 7 assists uh, this past season. Um, just to have that other option then in case uh, Lewandowski then uh, either needs a break there at the end or, or uh, if we need to bring on then uh, two strikers. Uh, I, I think Poland you know, has, has a great setup there to where they can really challenge. Now, are, are they going to be seen in that same kind of dark horse uh, kind of light as a team that can truly uh, compete for actually winning tournament, uh, probably not. But I, I think just kind of in terms of that sleeper pick that that could you know maybe upset then uh, a couple of the favorites, um, you know, getting into the knockout stage. I can definitely see Poland uh, uh, playing that role. Gentlemen, tomorrow we will be back. Gabe won't be. We're saying bye to Gabe, uh, unfortunately, until next week. But Chris Karthik and myself will be joined by Robert Hay while we uh, when we uh, preview groups C, sorry, groups D, E, F in Euros, as well as preview the opening game USA versus Colombia of the Copa Centenario. Until then, on behalf of Gabe, Car- uh, Gabe, Chris, and myself, Nipun Chopra, Karthik, enjoy your football. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.